0: Hi, you're listening to a podcast from the Galton Institute Conference from 2019, all about the ancient history of Britain, which was held at the Royal Society. In this episode, you'll hear Sir Barry Cunliffe, who's Emeritus Professor of European Archaeology from Oxford University, talking about his views on Celtomania and the need for a multi-layered approach when it comes to understanding our history. But first off, he talks about when the archaeological bug first bit.
1: Oh, a long, long time ago, uh, I was on my uncle's farm in Somerset as a very small schoolboy. And I got bored one day and he said, why don't you go out and into the field where the Roman villa is and see if you can find anything. And I went out in the field, kicked over molehills, picked up bits of Roman brick and tessery and pot shards and I was absolutely hooked
0: and uh, now i understand you're something of an authority on celts so what what are the celts
1: celts are all things to all men really well i should say all things to all men and women these days they were people who lived in europe in the first millennium bc and we know about them from archaeology and in particular from classical sources who uh, fr- particularly from about 600 onwards the classical sources Greeks and the Romans, are talking about these barbarian peoples who lived uh, away from the Mediterranean and raided down and uh, attacked Rome and attacked Greece. So we get um, a Mediterranean view of the Celts from the classical sources, but they are essentially barbarian people of Europe.
0: Your talk is mentioning something called, not kleptomania, Celtomania. What is that?
1: In the 18th century, when um, people first began to write about Celts and put together some sort of idea of who the Celts were, using these classical sources, it it suddenly became very, very popular, and everyone got excited about it. Um, There was a man called William Stukeley in Britain, uh, in the 1720s who went virtually mad about the Celts and wrote about Druids and, and had all these weird ideas about Druid temples at Stonehenge and, and, and so on. And so it grew and grew and grew. And um, people, some people started making up um, poetry which was supposed to be uh, Celtic All the monuments in Brittany and a lot of the monuments in Britain were interpreted as Celtic. Um, It it was a great sort of myth-making period, but people got very excited about it, and the Celts appeared everywhere.
0: What kind of forms does classical evidence take?
1: Um, Sources like um, Livy and Polybius and Julius Caesar, accounts of Celts. They um, talk about, um, some of them talk about Celts moving down into Rome or moving down and and raiding Greece. Julius Caesar, of course, talks about the Celts he met when he was uh, beating up the Gauls in in France. They were Celts. Um, So we get first hand descriptions, but they are always descriptions um, from other people. They are not descriptions of the Celts by the Celts. They are the Celts as others see them, so that they are automatically biased and we have to uh, take that bias, that topos, in, into account.
0: Right, people like to fib or exaggerate a little bit when they're talking about their interactions with people.
1: If, if, you're, talk, if you're writing about uh, someone who is, you regard as a barbarian, you, you want to um, emphasise the difference between us and them. Uh, and therefore you pick out the more curious bits of them that don't match with us. The Romans um, talking about um, uh, going naked into battle. No decent Roman go naked into battle, so there's a difference. that They painted themselves and tattooed themselves, decent Romans don't do that. So you're, you're getting certain things picked out.
0: Now you're looking into them from, um, from a scientific angle in archaeology, what is the picture we're starting to build today? Is that the same as what we were thinking then?
1: From the views of the 18th century came the idea that the Celts sort of originated somewhere in the middle of Europe and then spread in all directions and, and some of them spread west into Brittany into uh, Iberia and into the British Isles and Ireland uh, and um, it's there that the Celts survive so we talk about the Celtic survival, the Scots, the Irish and so on, the Welsh. I think that view is probably wrong And what we've been looking at recently is um, looking at the Celtic languages, looking at the archaeology, and now looking at some of the ancient DNA. And the picture that some of us are beginning to build up is that the whole idea of the Celt or the Celtic language, and if Celts are the people who spoke the Celtic language, the Celtic language developed probably in the Atlantic zone, from Spain up to Scotland. And it may have been a very early development of an Indo-European language, and it was spoken by people who were connected by the sea. There was a lot of, we can recognize it archaeologically, a lot of connectivity from about the 5th millennium BC, certainly up to the 1st millennium BC when um, people are going up and down the the Atlantic zone and interacting with each other and sharing ideas and sharing beliefs and sharing technologies. And um, I think that it's probably in that context that the Celtic language began. It's it's really changed from the idea of uh, Celts starting in Europe and moving to the West, uh, and now perhaps uh, Celtic and Celts starting in the West uh, and moving uh, East into Europe.
0: Right, and so what does this tell us about the way we should look into the past?
1: I think that we're able to build these new pictures uh, because we're not relying on a single kind of evidence. The archaeological evidence might tell us one thing, but it could be interpreted in various ways. The linguistic evidence... Uh, might be interpreted in a particular way, but now if we try and put the archaeological evidence and the linguistic evidence uh, and the the ancient DNA evidence together, we're beginning to get a much, much more nuanced and complex picture, which enables uh, interpretations based by in one discipline to be criticised by interpretations in another discipline. And this interdisciplinary uh, interaction is, is very, very important and very creative for our study. But altogether, the, the three kinds of evidence, genetic, linguistic, archaeological, must be um, taken at their own values and integrated into a single model.
0: Why was there this obsession, and maybe there still is, this obsession with the Celts?
1: The Celts are are popular, or were popular and still are, because you can uh, actually understand them through the classical texts. The classical texts talk about uh, people, they talk about individuals, uh, they talk about warriors, they they talk about um, religion and, and belief. And it's very easy to sort of move into that. And and to understand that, it's much easier than in earlier prehistory when you've only got a few artifacts to play with. You've actually got observations of people. The the other reason is that um, people living in Brittany and in Ireland and Wales and Scotland, uh, many of them speak a Celtic language, so the idea of Celt is of their ancestor, their direct ancestor, so we feel directly linked back to that past
0: there's some quite nice art and stuff as well It's you can see why it's people are like the tattoos and things. Well,
1: Celtic art is, is, has always been a, a great binder uh, of, of people across time um, and Celtic art is, is genuine and, and, and wonderful flowing movements and animals and so on and it spreads across um, parts of Europe um, but then it, it, it um, continues in, uh, throughout uh, parts of the, um, the Dark Ages in, in the Atlantic fringes and you get it uh, coming through in, in uh, design, in manuscript design and so on. And of course it's become very popular nowadays um, in, in terms of, of, of jewellery. Um, you will go, go to a festival anywhere and you'll find Celtic art on sale.
0: And uh, now, now we're getting a clearer idea, are you finding there's pushback from people who sort of want to stick to the, um, what we used to believe?
1: There are some people who really still adhere to these sort of 18th century origin concepts and find the idea, the more complex idea, a, a, a little bit over complex. Um, I think what I would say is that um, we should always try and take on new ideas. It's difficult often to give up the old ideas, even though we can take on new ones. But we should try and take on new ideas, but but nonetheless be critical of them and um, be prepared to listen to the criticism. But the criticism has got to come from the evidence we present rather than from preconception.
0: That was Professor Sir Barry Cunliffe there at the Galton Institute Conference, New Light on Old Britons. You can find out more about the Institute and watch short videos from other conference speakers online at galtoninstitute.org.uk. This podcast was produced by me, Georgia Mills, for First Create the Media, and the music was Drops of H2O by Jay Lang, which was licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Licence. Thanks for listening.